Deepening and spirituality and within the context of travel, like truly getting free from some of the ancestral pains and traumas and stories that live for us as Black Americans on the American soil will allow us to look at death, birth, business, surviving in a whole different way that I wasn't even expecting but have been experiencing. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from? your current location, and the name of your business. Uh, so glad to be here with you, Wanda. So I am Ash Johns. I am originally from Chicago, born in Detroit. So I'm a Midwest gal. Um, I currently live in sunny Fort Lauderdale, although it is not truly home. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, as we get into the conversation. The name of my business legally is called In Relation Strategies, LLC. But most people know me just as Ashley Johns or Ash Johns. Um, or spiritual b-school <laughs> come on looking up llc's registered and such um <laughs> <laughs> so you are fascinating and i'm so excited to share you with the world and you've been excited to share yourself with the world i appreciate how open you are in conversation um but you actually don't share a lot personally about yourself you share about the work you're doing so I'm interested in like your story of becoming who you are. Um, I want to take it way, way back, but you've been spiritually inclined since conception. And you said around the ages of 17 to maybe 22, you tried to shut that down because you didn't understand how to be that spiritual person and how to have boundaries with that and what it meant to be a spiritual person and how to navigate using your gifts. So I also want to talk about that some. So like, tell us where you came from. Like, did you come from a family of travelers? We know you come from, from money making women. So like, just give us, give us all of it, please. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for calling me into it because I forget that I don't talk about or don't realize I don't talk about my journey of becoming that's still unfolding because I'm living it all the time. So I'm like in service and I don't realize some of the details. Um, There's a book in there, a couple books in there for that. But yeah, to bring it on back, um, 
I, you know, my mom recently visited me for my birthday in February. And every time my birthday comes around, I, uh, I ask her more questions about my birth or her pregnancy. And I see it as a birthday for both of us. Like I give myself gifts, I receive gifts, but I also always give my mom a gift. And um, this time I was asking her to tell me something new in which she recalled a memory of being taken to a medicine woman, a psychic, a healer by her grandmother, my great grandma, Nana. And uh, she was distraught because my mom was already a single mom and she had gotten knocked up essentially by my father, who was definitely a rolling stone. He has deep roots in the music industry of Detroit, Motown, um, still is on the radio doing the oldies but goodies. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was just one of his men. And so, or she was one of his women. And so uh, my Grammy, my grand, my Nana saw that my mom was really distressed about this and decided to take her to see a reader for the first time. And that reader, she just told me, was telling her that this person, this baby had chosen her and that she's come with a big mission and that she's very spiritually connected and all is going to be fine. Um, but it opened up my mom spiritually and she said she felt me moving in her belly in a way that she had never felt before. And I was like, how did you let me go 33 years and you're just telling me this story? how? Like how? I don't even understand how that's possible. And she was like, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I really, you know, I don't know. We're just spiritual people, but we don't talk about it that way. It's kind of creepy. We're Christians. We don't do this. And I'm like, uh, yes, we do. We've been doing it. Every single one of us have these spiritual gifts and you guys keep trying to pretend like we don't. So that is essentially the beginning of me coming into the world, really knowing that I want it to be here and that the spiritual lineage um, every time I've had a reading or a divination um, or saw a psychic or even an astrologer, they always tell me I come from a long line of medicine, women, healers, and spiritual folks. And you yeah. had a, you actually had a relationship with your grandma, correct? Oh, yes. My Grammy, uh, my homegirl, she was more than a grandmother. She was my mom. She was my grandmother. She was my friend. She was... Um, my role dog, like we got into so much together. Uh, she taught me so much and she had little ways of doing her spiritual practices that were in plain sight. You know, she rolled hard. She was in the street. She was a waitress. Um, she was also the person on the block where you could come to her house, no matter who you are and what's going on and get an encouraging word to get some strategy on what to do, to take care of a problem, to get a good meal, and then to turn up with a good drink overnight. You know, that's the kind of person that she was. And she always kept a Bible open, but the stuff that she was doing wasn't, um, and, you know, directly Christian. It, it was black spirituality, black ass spirituality, if we want to say it like that, where we're mixing God and then our knowing of our, our ancestral knowing all into one pot of spiritual understanding and spiritual action, if you will. Yeah, but we were very, very, very close. It was when she was getting ready to pass, um, she visited me in my sleep and was telling me, and I knew it. I was trying to say, you know, just hang on because she was uh, manic depressant and mentally unstable and just had had a lot of different experiences in her life. Um, and I was telling her, I was like, I'm getting to a place where I think I can support you more. We had had conversations about the things that I do and the life that I was living and the travels and the freedom and all of these things. Um, and I was like, I think I'm going to be ready to come back after this Bali, after I'm in Bali and really just spend time with you. Like, we're just going to work on healing you. Just hang on a little while longer. And um, 
when I got to Bali, uh, I was painting my villa. I was renovating the villa and I was painting it. And I, I normally am a person who roll with like creams and like earth colors. And then I put like bold colors on top of that and prints and like tribal things. Like that's kind of my style. And, um, for some reason I kept being drawn to this turquoise sea moss green, like what we call in hoodoo or black spirituality black spiritual culture is Haints Blue. If you look in the South, there are a lot of houses where the outdoor um, porch is painted this like Robin's egg blue, and that's to ward off evil spirits. And I kept just looking at this blue when at the, at the Depot Bangunan, which is their Home Depot in Indonesia, in Bahasa Indonesian. And I was like, why do I want this bright ass blue? Like, what is this? I just couldn't stop. So I bought it and I started painting my, my walls this blue and come to find out I had a conversation with her and she was painting her walls in her new apartment blue, that same color blue. And we were in tune with her preparing to transition before we had the conversation. And then in my sleep, her spirit visited me and told me that she was ready to go. In which I said, okay. And I spoke to her and I said, I love you. And then two days later, my mom called me because we're 12 hours difference, obviously, the other side of the world and let me know that she passed. And I had this huge sense of like relief of like, oh, I'm so glad you did it. And you did it so smoothly. So I share that story to say we were very, very close, both physically and spiritually, but also deepening and spirituality and within the context of travel, like truly getting free from some of the ancestral pains and traumas and stories that live for us as Black Americans on the American soil will allow us to look at death, birth, business, surviving in a whole different way that I wasn't even expecting, but have been experiencing. That's so deep. Yeah. To, to to experience that and have peace around it. Usually when it comes to death, there's just a lot of grieving. And not that you didn't grieve in your way, but mm-hmm. to have such a connection that you're peaceful about it. Like I think about um, how it's depicted in Black Panther. I know it's a mythical movie, but um, T'Challa going to visit his father mm-hmm. and the the peace that comes with that, with being able to have like a final conversation yeah. So that's really, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. And it's uh, even science has proven that consciousness continues. We're talking about energy. I mean, even if we look at this through a Christian perspective, like Jesus yeah. did, did, dead and gone, and we still call it on his name and having visions and all these things. So. But there are absolutely scriptures that, that talk about yeah. like, the spirit not dying. It's the spirit, the body dies. It's true. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, so yeah, we should think about that or could think about that in application in our in our lives. Because I know so many of us go on these journeys of the world to find ourselves, to feel like where do we belong, to have some space from some of the, um, you know, the, some of the, I guess you say, tensions in our family lineages or our family of origin structures. And yeah, all along the whole way, it's all of these, regardless of what culture you're in or where you come from, spirituality is spirituality, spirit is spirit. And yes, that's a mythical or, um, you know, a fictional movie, but there's truth in every single thing that we see in this world. There's nothing new under the sun to to quote the Bible again. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. So like you, you, you said that your father was a rolling stone. So what kind of relationship did you have through with him through the years? And like, how did that impact you and the relationships you were able to have with masculine presenting Oh, yeah, we're getting in it. (laughs) So 
So I actually didn't know my dad until I was 15 years old. Um, I was raised by my stepfather from age four, um, but I did not ever feel a connection with my stepdad. And again, it just kind of shows that nature nurture, you can be around someone, they can pour into you, um, they can take a lot from you too. <laughs> it was a tumultuous time raised, being raised by that man. Um, but who you belong to, who you share blood with, who you share bone with is always going to be a connection there. Um, so sometimes when people are talking to me about ancestor work, they're like, I wasn't, I was adopted or I've been abandoned or I'm estranged. And I'm like, doesn't matter. Your people are your people, you know, and there's reconciliation that can be done there. So along the years, I would just be like, you know, I want to know my dad. I want to know my dad. Now, lo and behold, I didn't know my mom and my dad had known each other for years before I ever came around. Like they actually were good friends, um, lived on the same block on the east side of Detroit. And he's, a, he's about nine years older than my mom. So he would be like, I'm gonna marry that woman. I'm gonna marry that woman. I love her, you know? Um, but he had a business and he was already married at the time. And, you know, he was, again, really around, I mean, he's, he's knows Aretha Franklin or knew, I should say, and other, other pretty famous musicians and folks. And so that was his lifestyle. Um, once I kept asking questions and the internet became available, I would search, I would be like, what's his middle name? And I would just ask my mom little things. And I kept these Lisa Frank notebooks of things of my family, um, that I wanted to remember to not do as an adult. Like I knew I was going to break the change and, and do something differently as I, as I got older and had control over my life. So I would keep these notebooks and write and journal about things that hurt my feelings or that I thought was unjust or that it was just a reoccurring pattern and relationships to alcohol and sexuality and abuse and all these things. And so also in the journey, I would keep notes of things that I was learning about my dad. And so one day my mom found those journals and flipped through them. We had a little interesting conversation about my views of the family, but she really highlighted um, my interest in my dad. She really felt that I was seeking and wanting to know and that I wasn't going to let it go. So she secretly um, called him up and because, you know, they had stayed in touch casually. They stayed in touch. And so she called him up. She looked, listen, Ash is, Ashley is really, uh, she wants to know who you are. And he's like, really? Like, really? Like she has a dad. Like, I don't think she would want to. And she's like, no, she really does. And so they arranged for us to meet and um, I started spending time with him. But yeah, that was really difficult because I did see the patterns of seeking or really pursuing a man in my life based on that void, like feeling like if I am the smartest, if I am the best in school, if I have the most amazing personality, then you will want to come towards me because I thought those things with my own dad. And uh, that's just not how it works. Like that's not how men's psychology or how men are programmed. They could sometimes see you in that way and be like, well, now I've got a fantastic trophy wife or, you know, girl around me who all, everybody respects and loves, but that's not necessarily what activates a man's heart to want to be in a deep and devoted and committed relationship with you. So over the years, it actually drove me to study men a lot. Um, if I weren't who I am as a strategist and healer and a coach, I would definitely be um, a relationship, you know, therapist or a sexual therapist, sex therapist, I should say, or sensuality strategist or something like that. I don't know. But because I do, I love seeing the dynamics between heterosexual relationships. And honestly, it's not even heterosexual relationships. It's just the energy of the push and the pull, whether you want to name that masculine or feminine. But sometimes people are saying, give the person what they need or what they want 
in the relationship and that should be a mutual exchange and there's compromise. But sometimes we're wanting and needing things that are rooted in generations, honestly, but we'll just keep it to yourself. It's just rooted in pain. So you're asking someone to be your supporter or be your security. You know, that's what I found. And I've only had two serious relationships. And um, I realized, especially in the last one, I was like, yo, as the man, I'm this magical, mystical, creative, free bird. I expect you to hold me down, like support. Like that's what I want. And I had to be like, why do you want that? Why do you want that? That goes back to not having that as a child and really not having it in the lineage. I come from strong women who really were the matriarchs of every household. And there is there is a balance of those characteristics and there's a distortion of them. And I was in the distortion of a matriarchal woman and I was desiring the distortion of a patriarchal um, dom- male-dominating man in my life. So, Yeah. It is really interesting how sometimes we expect them to fill a space that we don't entirely understand. I think we all do it. I think we all of us absolutely do it. We don't even know why we desire what we desire. And it's easy to say, you know, and I think of this even in the context of general healing or general travel to find yourself or like all of these, the surface level starting positions of these transformative experiences is saying, oh, that person has daddy issues or, oh, that dude just wants you to mother him um, or, oh, I'm going to travel the world and find myself and I'm free. But if we don't ever do the deeper excavation, like deeper, not just like deeper as in awareness and knowing, and then deeper than that, which is testing and literally doing the opposite of what you are programmed, um, witness doing, like all of that, like literally flip everything on its head, then it just becomes so cliche. You think that you transform or you have an understanding and in your mind you do, but it's not embodied. Like I had to literally be like, could I be in this relationship and you do not support me? Like you think what I do for a living is ridiculous and hog shit. Like how would I feel? Like what's the point of a relationship? And, you know, we come from tribally, we come from people who were not monogamous, right? That is a more recent modern um you know, offering to the world as far as one man, one moment, woman, or one partner. Um, this was a business transaction. This was about holding wealth within a family unit or a tribe and this, this exchange that happens. You know, what would it be to be more committed but free? Like, what it, would it mean to be supported in myself and in my community of women or other people and this person is only responsible or I'm asking them to meet me in this one part that I think creates... Um, and a live relationship. Like, yeah, it's, uh, I think the most interesting thing in my life and in others is choosing to create the life that you want as opposed to following. And what's interesting in the coaching and wellness industry is that a lot of folks are like, yeah, I'm choosing, I'm creating, but they're still following the framework or the the plan or whatever that someone else has done in their life and that worked. It's like, well, you're not really creating right here. You're still trying to copy and paste. So um, yeah, I just say throw, throw the whole book over and just not even start over, but just start with you. But it's like the matrix, really right? Conversations with for anybody that's seen I know, the matrix, right? it is the matrix. It totally it is. is. It is about us being born into something and not understanding. I just had this little baby epiphany the other day. Like I was just thinking about how ego has set the precedent 
So someone with the ego thought that things should run and work a certain way. And a lot of us have been spending our lives in response to that. And when you talk about traveling in order to heal, it is difficult to know that you are still working within the system because you think you're doing something radical. You're changing your location. Not a lot of people do that kind of thing. So, or, you know, even trying to just vacation a lot. So it's really interesting being aware enough to peel back the layers to say, no, actually, I want to sustainably travel. No, actually, I don't want to participate in capitalism the same kind of way. No, actually, I want to be in touch with myself and with my ancestors and with my culture in the way that you teach specifically. So, yeah, it's just... um, the whole process of someone coming into that place where they're really thinking about the way that they're living their lives beyond the surface. Because like, how do you teach someone to do that? And nobody even knows to look for that because a lot of people are teaching the same stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just say lean, lean in harder. Like, okay, fine. You, you've gotten out of the country and you're kind of bopping around, you know, to the places that you want to go to or you're vacationing often. It's like, so how do you turn it up a notch? Like, are you really getting free? What's the purpose of why you're taking these breaks just for bragging rights, just for the photos? Or are you really desiring something that you haven't seen before? And you're wanting that because you're the person who's supposed to go after that journey or experience that journey and then reflect it to others to inspire their unique journey. And so a lot of times when I was traveling and then when I was as an expat abroad, I would talk about all of the things I had to overcome, like all of the tough stuff that I still chose to be literally on the other side of the world away from family and friends. And people would be like, I never thought about it that way. Or, you know, I never, it's only you, that's your unique thing. But I'm like, you're following so hard because you know, you want, you have some version of this, your own version of it inside of you. Travel to help us detach from the ego, from the quote unquote illusion of stability or comfort or structure and being able to be adaptable or adapting in all situations is like the number one thing that brings us back to our spiritual trust and knowing. Like I I got so chill. I realized I hadn't had an argument. I hadn't cursed anyone out. I was just so accepting and just rolling with things being like, well, that wasn't in alignment for what I really want anyway. So we good and just rolling with it. So it's like this don't compartmentalize. I learned to not compartmentalize my travels or my expat lifestyle as just a moment in my life, bringing all of that back to, if you're going to come back into the States or repatriate, Repay, I always that word always sounds weird in my repatriate. Yeah, there were those um, into the states or elsewhere. Bring all those learnings, all those cracked up openness, all those questions, all those desires for change, and really embed them into your life. Like that's what helps me sustain who I am and continue to live the spiritual clarity or the breakthrough that I that I got. Um, I've seen so many people through the years that I cross paths with while traveling you know, they did go back to corporate and that's fine. No one's knocking that. It's like you had this huge opening, but you weren't willing to fully let go and embrace what that travel and what that gave you back, what that ignited in you. And it, it made me sad for some folks. I'm thinking of someone in particular. Um, but Damn. <laughs> 
somebody in particular who I'm not going to (laughs) name. No, right. Someone in particular, but I'm going to send them love because she was amazing. I remember specifically being like, but I like my life. I want my house and my condo and I want, and I want, and and I was like, you want, you're arguing, you want all this shit that made you miserable when you had it in the States. Like, what the fuck? What are you talking about, sis? And she was like, I just can't. I'm like, no. It's not that you can't. And there's no judgment because, again, we all got our own journeys. I just, one of my abilities with myself and with others is feeling that potential and being like, that's not really what you want. It's not really what you want. You're just afraid to take that step. And you feel it because you are ready. You're just unwilling to get very uncomfortable in creating the new thing that you so deserve. Um and I, I call myself on that all the time. I see myself slipping into this sunken space of being like, what am I even doing in the world or in my life? And I'm like, that's you asking to open up more, lean into your dreams. What is the thing that you've not been going after? Which, oh, I'm really spilling the tea. So I have a transition occurring in my business and in my life right now. And COVID really highlighted that. It helped me see the ways in which I've gotten comfortable of people knowing me a certain way and being able to show up in certain ways. And it's like, yeah, but remember the thing you really wanted, which was to speak more, to be out here inspiring and activating things inside of people's spiritual bodies. So if they, they feel empowered to go and try something, it doesn't have to be with me. It might be someone with someone else, but um, besides coming from a lineage of healers and medicine women and business women, I come from a lineage of communicators, like something about the vibration of the way that I talk, it, it does stuff to people and, you know, embracing that and leaning into it more is what I am being whew, activated into doing. Oh, right. Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. What you got me? What you got me in here? And this is like confessional. <laughs> this is like confessionals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I will pull on that string until the sweater falls apart. Yes, I will. Um, and then we'll make it back together. Um, love it. Love it. Love all of it. You talk in one of your interviews about that comfortableness and having to go beyond it. And you talk about having to be very uncomfortable. So you said like you had your quote unquote, big girl job, whatever, adult job. Uh, You're in NYC. She's floating around. The people are loving everything she's doing. You're dying inside. (laughs) You talk about being depressed and suicidal and you had a thousand dollars in your bank account and your rent was nine hundred dollars and you left your job because it was just enough for you so like that is very scary for a lot of black women and i think specifically because we have a wound around security yeah yeah we are our security though we really are when we realize it's this weird thing that we do of like praising ourselves and being like, we are black girl magic. We can do anything in the world. Everything is us. We are the earth. We are the moon. We are the sun. We are the goddamn stars. And we're like, yeah. And then, and then on the other hand, it's like, I have to move in silence and don't let right. anybody see you sweat. And like, you know, yes. can't tell them about you breaking up in the, this relationship. There's also yeah, a lot that needs that. to be hidden to save face. What happens in this house doesn't, doesn't get right. talked about outside this house. 
Right. And thinking that we don't have the ability, like if we can say we're all of these things, which we are, there's no doubt about that, then we can take all of those things and apply it to creating change. The more vulnerable we are, the more creative we are, the more aligned with what we truly want, the easier life gets, the better life gets. Like, and this is going to be so controversial that I'm going to say it. As I continue working with us and others, I keep seeing this. The contract or the construct is the exact same thing. I am so damn annoyed every time a cis white head male man, right, comes up and wants to work with me. And I'd be like, dude, your ego, your this, your one track mind, your life, wanting to be on this pedestal is a problem for all the rest of us, starting with black women. If we took the same focus of this is who we are, what I'm capable of, what I want to do, what matters to me and all this other stuff doesn't we would change the world so much faster. We change our lives so much faster. And that's not to take the poison of one and apply it in our own lives. It's to understand the power of clarity and focus and our own magic and our own magic. Because guess what? Embedded in us is to take care of others. Embedded of us is if I do great, it instantly does make things better for folks around me. It's just a woman thing and it's definitely a black woman thing. We are the earth. We really are. And so if we would just come into more spaces and truly into ourselves of trusting that, believing that, and taking that leap, like stop holding face. I talk about my separation. I talk about all kinds of stuff, mostly when people are one-on-one working with me. But if you do scroll through my Instagram, you do see these things. Oh, I saw the picture and I wasn't sure if it was the picture, but I was pretty sure it was the picture. I was like, oh, that's that motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was. You don't know the story. You can't treat people like that. But like, you know, that was true because you know what? I was on a vibration that called that man in just as he was. And he was one of my greatest teachers. It was like, and this is something that we do as black women. I'll say it from my own story of being on a certain track and being so clear and because of love, right. Or because of wanting, right. Um, we'll get off of that track to go over here. And that's what I did. And I went in there thinking I'm going to be in the safe cocoon and like he, I'm going to be the creative and the entrepreneur and the healer and he's going to hold down the house. And it was like none of that at all. It was none of that at all. And then actually not really seeing who I am because I had lost track. I wasn't seeing who I was and what I was capable of doing. So the point that I was like, don't worry, bro, just watch me work. Just watch. I don't even care if you ever recognize because I know what I've got. Yes, I've traveled the world and I might not have the physical things because I've gotten rid of those, right, to go after that lifestyle. But what I do have and I know that I'm able to do is to generate and grow and connect with people. That is currency for fucking ever, like forever, right? That is that is like people always say your, um, your wealth is in your community and how you show up and your character because someone's always going to either buy or need or trust you, right? So yeah, no, the, the vulnerability and really, I want us to believe, and by us, I'm also saying to myself, really, truly embody and believe all the stuff that we're posting and saying on the internet. If we're black girl magic, then I'm ready to set this intention. That's just happening, period, point blank. You know, like if I'm saying that it's sisterhood and it's community and we grow things and we're resilient, all right, then be resilient and know how to take care of yourself and learn how to rest and balance going after something and withholding the waves and the the turbulent oceans and also chilling out for a moment and letting spirit speak through you. That's it. That's the dance. So what helped you get there though? So 
again, you're back in New York and yeah. you had, you have these gifts, you shut mm-hmm. them out yeah, and you're trying to figure out how to use them. What helped you to learn? What helped you to learn your boundaries? What helped you to learn to embody yourself and to say yes to yourself? Um, and mm. going back to dreaming about all mm-hmm. the things you had dreamt of and then taking action to start doing them, you said in whatever capacity you could. Yeah. Yeah. It was journaling. I wrote everything down. I would write it down and then I would read it a week later. So each week I had, this is all the stuff that I wrote this week. And then at the beginning of the week, I think it was Sundays or Mondays, whichever one that I had the freedom, I would go back and reflect on the week before. So I would track my, what I wrote. That's number one. And I didn't realize that I didn't start doing that with like from a strategic point of view. It's just, I needed to get stuff out of me. Otherwise I was going to implode. So, and then I wanted to see what I said when I would calm down and it would normally take me about a week or so to come off of my emotional roller coaster and just read what did I learn, you know, the week before, the few days before. So journaling, everyone knows it. I don't think that we ever commit to it um, and hold it in the high regard for the impact that it can give you. So that's number one. Like you said, I wrote down the list of all the things that I ever wanted to do that I was too afraid to do or I had forgotten to do, and I just started pursuing them. Um, it took me to like a Groupon for glass blowing class and like stuff like that. I became a makeup artist, a makeup artist class, and things like that. The next was I surrendered. I was just like, I can't go back to advertising. I literally cannot. So I need to make some money. So I'm going to make these proposals and try to sell people $1,500 a month social media packaging to small mom and pop businesses in which a restaurant, a local restaurant was my very first client. That's literally what I did in order to make sure that my daily needs were met and that I didn't go back and try to find another corporate advertising job, right? So that was like, get your basic needs met, but also don't make it worse. It's making you commit to something that's literally killing you because that's what was happening. I had no, I had so much self-doubt. I had such low self-esteem. I felt my whole identity was built around advertising and being what everyone saw me to be, even though inside I was hurting. Um, I said prayers. I was like, let me, do not let me commit to anything that is not in my highest good and me living up to my biggest purpose and potential. And I said that prayer from the bottom of my heart. I mean, so deep with tears being like, I don't want to keep repeating this pattern. Even if I want something, if it's not truly for my highest good, do not let me have it. And time and time again, stuff would fall through and I would be like, ah, and I'm like, oh wait, you did say that prayer. And lo and behold, it would always show up later that it wasn't for me. Um, What else did I do? I spent a lot of time outside. Like I would just walk the streets of Chicago, because at that point in time, I had moved back. I had a time of living at home with my mom. And um, then I got an apartment. And so I had, I would just walk around Wicker Park. (laughs) And and Wicker Park's not cheap. So when I tell you the little bit of money I was making was just to pay my rent um, until my lease was up. So what else did I do now that I'm being taken back to reflect on things. I started opening myself up to spiritual practices that really were um, deeper than what I had ever experienced. So that's when I started receiving regular Reiki. I found someone who would give me discounted um, Reiki sessions and they would do them either in person or over the phone. And one of them actually became my Reiki master teacher, which was great. 
um, that allowed me to trust because she would pick up on the exact same stuff that I would be dreaming about that spirit was telling me at night. And so it gave me the confidence to trust and to be open to my spiritual abilities again, because she would pick up on the exact same things and tell me, and I had never said anything to her. Right. So Reiki was a big, um, I think it's like the gateway drug to spirituality. That's the way I talk about it. <laughs> and I also started, um, doing plant medicine, you know, as a teenager, I smoked a lot of weed and because I didn't know what my, or could control or filter my spiritual mediumship and abilities, I stopped smoking because it was too overwhelming, right? And so me starting to do ayahuasca and ceremonies um, or cacao and other different, um, you know, hallucinogens and psychedelics really helped me to crack open the spiritual abilities and ask bigger questions and be like, I'm going to just keep following the breadcrumbs. And that's, that's literally, there was two mantras I would work with all the time. One was trust the process. And I had it up as like my Facebook um, cover picture for a long time. Like people in my family know that I always say trust the process. And the other one was um, follow the breadcrumbs because looking back on my life, I would see where I would make the choice. I would just make little decisions of leaning in. And I can't tell someone how to lean in, but it kind of feels like for me, where intuitively I would be like, I should do this. But then I would switch and think about it and strategize about it and be like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And what about this? And this person going to think about me. Like all of that thinking is you ignoring your intuition and not following the breadcrumbs. The initial thought, the initial feeling is always what you need to follow, like always. And so I really started to sharpen my intuition and do that, following the breadcrumbs and just being easeful day to day. And uh, I still do that. I still do that. I still like tune in and let that take me day after day after day, probably until my last day. And so when you started to feel fear, because you're human and it's a process, when you Mm -hmm. started to feel fear, when you started to come up against challenges of you choosing to include more spirituality, creativity, and abundance, those were like your three pillars. Um, to guide you to make sure that you you were whole, like you were able to bring yourself wholly to whatever you did. Mm-hmm. What did you do? How did you manage those? Can you be more specific? What do you mean? How do I manage them? Manage, manage your challenge. Manage the fear around, like not being able mm-hmm. to support yourself, around making mistakes, around mm-hmm. um, anything that could possibly go wrong. Yeah. What if I, I, I end just up homeless, you know, what if I end up yeah. poor? But that didn't, I mean, I was poor and I was homeless. So this is the thing. It's like trying to avoid wait, like, stuff. Wait, like literally? Yes. Like literally like for, so some, something that people don't know is about 13 to 15, 16, I was in group homes I was homeless. I would stay with church members. Like it was just a dysfunctional time in my whole life. Like it was really the, who are you going to be? What's going to happen? And I know I'm going back from where we just were, but it's not that I have never been homeless before. And I was homeless again. I was homeless after I lived in Bali. I had run out of money in my business (laughs) and decided to expand into Australia, right? And I got to Australia. I had enough to get my visa, my plane ticket, and I happened to meet someone who was on my retreat in Bali who was like, hey, you can come and stay with me for two weeks. And then I negotiated for it to be a month. And within that month, I ended up getting a whole new contract and new clients and waitressing to get myself 
my own apartment um, within a month's time of Australia, right? So it's not the analogy I use for this is I don't spend my time trying to not fall on the ice. I just let myself fall on the ice so that I can pick myself back up because all of that trying to not do it, it's like you end up pulling your arm, blowing out your back, twisting your ankle and breaking your neck. When if you just would have fell, it would have been just on your butt and you could just get back up again. (laughs) They say like whenever there's a car accident, the worst thing you can do is tense up because your tense muscles are going to be impacted harder by the impact of the crash versus like if you were relaxed. Um, Yeah. That's literally it. I I don't try to avoid. Yeah. I don't try to avoid something. What I do say is I want this to like my intention and my words. And when I sit with my ancestors, which doesn't have to be something formal, if you're interested in that practice, just talk to them. They're already around you. Is to just say, I want this to pass. I want this to work out in my best interest. Because that's what I did. I would be like, I know I'm going to get through this. I always do. I always do. And yeah, I had some blisters on my feet because I had to take the train and I didn't have a car and I was walking and only had these Chuck Taylors who are, I have wide feet. I don't know why I was buying Chucks, but I'm like walking and had all these blisters. I'm standing on my feet all day and all these different things um, in my life. It doesn't matter when I first quit advertising, when I quit again, because I did have a period of going back. Or when I was in Bali or Australia and didn't know what to do and I was by myself, essentially, or some some form of me was by myself. It's just that this is going to pass. It totally always does. Um, and so the thing is to ask, what I would ask myself was, what am I learning? What do I need? And I would be like, show me how to work it out. Like, show me what I need to do next. Show me what's going to happen. And just being receptive to the next thing. That's literally it. I wish I could be like, Here's the magic sauce. <laughs> no, it's not it's about awesome. magic sauce, but it it is it is important to recognize how radical that is. So many yeah. of us do not want to be uncomfortable. And I guess it's a bit like how the brain works and trying to protect us, mm. trying to protect us from experiencing or re-experiencing something that we've been through that was traumatic. But what you're saying is like you don't even process it that way at all. It seems like you've had the idea about yourself that you were always going to get through whatever it was that was going to happen. Yeah. And it does. And here's the thing. If we look back, when I look back over my life, I see the evidence that that's true. It's almost as if every time a new challenge comes up, we think it's the end of the world. And this is going to be the moment of my like unraveling and, that's that's just it. I'm going to be kaput. Everyone's going to see it. It's going to be so embarrassing and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, remember that one time where like you were about to get fired and so you didn't want to get fired. So you just went and ripped your name off the wall and cleaned up your desk and like threw the laptop and Blackberry at your boss. Like that was a big deal. And you made it through that too. You know, like look back on the evidence of your life and it shows you what you're capable of. And so, yeah, I think about, I guess, I don't know. This that's a really good question, Wanda. I feel like I don't realize how I live. I'm Mm-mm, just living. You it. don't. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> if you if you were born with the revolution already programmed inside you, if you were already born counterculture, then I think it's difficult for you to see it from the perspective of folks that mm-hmm. experience life in a different kind of way. And I think that that mm-hmm. that that attitude, that perspective, that philosophy is what has separated you and given you the distance that you need in order to 
kind of be on the outside to look in to tell people like, mm-hmm. hey, you don't have to do that. <laughs> what yeah, you're doing, you don't true. have to do it. It's fine. Promise. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's also, it's not just a me thing. I tell people, yes, that's true. Thank you for pointing it out because that's something I'm going to be marinating on after we get off of this. And also, though, this is us as a people, as Black people. You know, we celebrate our resilience. We talk about the foods and things that we have created based on situations that were not ideal, like what came out of the struggles that we came. So if we can build things from rubble historically and the most unsavory situations, distraught, traumatizing situation. We can still create amazing movies and music and artwork and design and all types of things. Then that means that I have that in me too. I can build something from nothing. But you also have to be cognizant of that legacy, which like that is not, black history wasn't celebrated in my house. I didn't know nothing besides from what I sought out Mm -hmm. myself and what the school fed me. So like, that's not... It's just not, we are, we're not taught, uh, particularly as black Americans, we're not taught that pride. I see a lot of other folks from uh, different countries being proud and having strong familial ties. And that's not something that I saw. Not that that's everybody's experience, but yeah. Oh no, that's, I hear you. I didn't come from a household of any of that. Like I didn't know what Kwanzaa was until like, like, uh, yeah, I'll talk about that another time. But yeah, I hear you with that. What I can say is, though, we see it in the culture that we live. We see when we, you know, make up a slang word that everybody loves and we're all talking about it. We know when we're doing double dutch and we're being able to flip and do something differently. We know what it's like to throw down in the kitchen and be like, I didn't ever think about putting mustard and pickles up in my ramen noodles. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are things that we have done that are the evidence, even though it's smaller, smaller in size, if you will, or an impact. We look on the internet and we're like, man, that's super dope. Like all of those things, even though we're not looking at it from a whole, you know, national perspective and yes, our history has been lying to us and the books are leaving stuff out and all of that stuff. There's a lot of shame. Like people are still saying slaves instead of the enslaved are enslaved. Like all of that stuff is true. Yet every single day we are living moments of like, how did you even braid her hair like that? Like that was amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Yeah. So as part of your methodology, sorry, it's another motorbike. This is my life. (laughs) Um, So as part of your methodology, you address life from a few different perspectives. So you talk about us having gifts or trauma and having having to get well with yourself having to get well with your ancestors and then mm-hmm. taking that also to the culture, which is, yeah. which is rooted in community for you. So talk a little yeah. bit about that, please. Yeah. I was getting really frustrated looking at other people's approaches. That was either very, very mass and talking to the cultural change, but never looking at the individual impact because individuals add up to culture, which creates or community, which creates culture. And then, or some people's approach was the individual and being like, it'll ladder up to the big, like it'll ladder up to the, to the cultural impact. And I'm like, yeah. in like 5,900 years, like we don't have time for that. <laughs> so my approach is to take it from both directions and it's really organized from my own experience of being like, hmm, this doesn't feel good for me. And it made me cry personal. Huh? 
what did this look like in my family? I saw my mom and my grandma repeat the same things. Interesting. And now my aunt is kind of going through that word. Okay. From a whole black woman's perspective or a whole community of black people or community of, of feminine or women, I should say, what does this look like? Where are the, where are the connecting the dots or the strings of correlation going through? And so I move in that direction because I don't think that we can really get to the core or the root of the wounds that keep perpetuating the same behaviors and the same limitations and the same beliefs um, if we're not working in that direction. So there are things that we've experienced in our own life that is 100% our own experience, yet it's been um, teased up, if you will, or prepared to come into your life based on what you inherited from your family members and your family members and your ancestry and your lineage is part of the bigger cultural issue that's going on. Um, yeah. So it's, it's when, especially when I came back in the States and now we are, you know, I wasn't here when everyone was voting for Trump. <laughs> I say it that way. Cause it's pretty funny, but, um, I came back into the country and was like, Oh my goodness, the racism and the tension and the angst and the anger is so energetically consciously it is it is thick it is very very thick and um I was like this doesn't make sense this is during the time where everyone was coming out with different like anti-racism workbooks and you know diversity and inclusion this and white supremacy that and I was like we're still approaching this from the mind trying to convince the mind to not behave in this way or to say tell us to think differently. And I was like, there's something going on because we're thinking differently. We want to be inclusive. We want to be free, but our behaviors and our emotions are not. There's something else going on. So I was sitting back, just just connecting dots again, as I do, speaking of spirit. And uh, my ancestors came through and they were like, this is why we brought you back. Because you experienced freedom. You understood your spiritual lineage outside of this world. You needed to get back on this land to feel the trauma and the wounds going on on this land relating to your ancestors and others. And I was like, oh, you mean to tell me we can be wanting to do to do differently in our own world, but the effects of our ancestors are very much so still around us. That's creating this situation. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Well, how do we not see this? And um, I started testing it. I started doing sessions with people really low cost to be like coaching and asking them what's going on in their life that they want to change and then tuning in with their ancestors and trying to create a bridge between them to talk to their ancestors directly. And in that, I would work with black folks, I work with white folks, I work with Jewish people. And it was interesting to hear the tears of one of what we're saying we want to see differently, but then the energy around was like, "Uh uh-uh, you better not go there. Nuh-uh, you know what they did to us. So here you are trying to get more free, but yet your ancestors are holding you being like, that's not safe and we love you. We'll do anything to protect you, even if it means you stay more miserable or you contribute to the misery of this world. At least you're still alive. At least you're still well. And I was like, oh, that's what's going on. And here's the analogy to it further. When I got my degree, my mom didn't instantly get more education or have a degree or become more you know, well-versed or educated. As my degree, I sat in those classes. I wrote those papers. I walked across that stage. Did it elevate her energetically? Was she more prideful? Did she want to tell people that Ash was cum laude this and blase blase that? Yeah, of course. But she doesn't carry the same knowing that I do, right? And the same thing here. It's like we can say we want to do differently, but that doesn't mean our ancestors who are the same blood as us and who are energetically surrounding us understand that or agree to it. And I was like, oh. We got to get these things working together. 
So, yeah. I like that you talk about the living with the mind and the body um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to trying to tie everything up. Because I think sometimes people leave the body out. I actually have a theory that a lot of our weight as Black women, a lot of is that is trauma. Yes. Um, yes. Us trying to, I guess, usually weight is for protection. Yes. Not it, but it yes. totally is. Yeah, I totally believe that to be true. Um, it's not just our own trauma, it's collective trauma through our lineage. Um, I don't, I'm sure you've probably heard the book. It's a really popular one now, but the body keeps the score. No, I haven't is, heard that. Oh yeah. You got to get that book. It talks okay. about that. It's really, really good. Um, there's another one. If you haven't read it yet by Dr. Joy DeGroy, post-traumatic slave syndrome is another really good book okay. that you can connect the dots around what we're storing in our body besides the physical weight of our people. Um, and then you can add all of the economics and the, you know, food deserts and the social economics aspects of that in our environment. But from a spiritual aspect and an energy aspect in the body, a lot of us end up having hysterectomies and having fibroids and having issues with our reproductive, our feminine area. And that is also a place where we're stifled in our creativity. We don't feel that we are on a deep psychological and spiritual traumatic level, um, feel that we can't bore, bring forth, like it's scary to bring forth fruit, whether that's humans or other things. Um, a lot of sexual impact or sexual trauma, I should say, is impacted in the body and it's stored there. So yes, you could... You know, every time I hear of a sister who's like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, take these meds or I'm going to get the surgery. I'm like, please look at the natural ways of healing that because it's our body telling us that it's imbalanced and that it's been um, inherited. It's compacted. You know, I personally had issues with my fallopian tubes closing up and having chronic um, infections. And it was a lot of anger around some of the men that I chose to trust to have sexual intercourse with, intercourse with who did not really care. They were putting their trauma that's passed on from their fathers, right? And their lineages inside of me. And I was in a traumatized space looking for love in the places that I really didn't need to. And so I physically went through a lot of um, traditional Chinese medicine sessions, acupuncture, eating really clean, like whole type of vegan diet, not just vegan like Doritos because it has no plant, you know, or any animal byproducts, but like for real, for real, plant-based eating um, of greens. I, I followed a lot of Queen of Fua's work. And then I coupled that with conversations with my ancestors around their wombs and their, you know, feelings of life and bringing forth life and embodying their femininity and their flow. And I did a lot of guided meditations and fasts around that as well and have completely restored my body. And that's me speaking to someone who had chronic vaginal discharge. I used to have chronic yeast infections. My mom has had a hysterectomy. Um, my grandmother did and a couple other women in our family. So I was like, if I don't get into this, not only is it my life that's going to continue to, or, you know, not bear the fruits that I want to when I want to, but that same sexual trauma and like 
stagnation of creativity is going to continue in this lineage. And I know I'm hella creative. So what would it be? What would I physically manifest if my womb is also supporting my creativity? You know, and um, that's what I've been playing with, honestly, in these last six months or so, almost six months, about about good five, going on five months. Well, like I scrolled back on your Instagram and like your first post is from January 2015. And I think um, that's around the time you were going to Bali, um, either like leisure travel. It might have just been leisure travel. I know you were there for three years running the women's retreat. Yeah. But, um, I could see that you just had like a little bit more weight. Like you weren't. Yeah. You were no by by no means were you thick. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't Damn. appropriate thick culture. Sorry, boo. But <laughs> um but you were like I could just see more of a fullness in your cheeks than what you have now. So I was just curious yeah. about that because that's a conversation yeah. that like I've had with a few of the ladies around yes. our bodies and how our bodies can respond differently in different places. So I didn't know if like you released something while you were there or. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yeah. So you're right. Actually, I have some posts from earlier than that, but I archived them. You know, I was like, these don't, these don't fit anymore. But, anyway, I mean, but um, you can archive that post. Let me talk about that real quick. Cause that is a thirst trap for that ass. Um, <laughs> All, listen, y'all, y'all got to scroll back. All Miss Ash has in that photo is a bracelet, baby. That's all she got on. So you got to go that, look at that. <laughs> that, yeah, that post was great. That's uh, an ex-lover of mine actually took that photo for me. Who's a really great artist um, out of Chicago. But yeah, I released a lot. It was a lot of caring, just like fluffiness. I had so much inflammation, so much like I knew I had potential, but that potential was told hmm, within the context of like advertising or corporate. I was like, so how is this going to translate elsewhere in the world? I don't really, I had so much self-doubt. I had so much just fluffiness, just fluffy weight that I was like, I don't know what's going on. But um, yes, changing location was a big deal. I felt much lighter. I felt in my body. I felt present. I felt in control, even though I was out of control. I had no idea what was going to happen next, but I was completely in myself. I wasn't running around trying to understand or trying to listen to what someone was saying or try to discerning what someone was really meaning. I was just with myself and that was, that made a world of difference. So some weight fell off with that. Um, Eating different food. Once I did move to Bali, um, I was eating I mean, all of the local food, which yes, it's a lot of rice, but it doesn't have all that GMO and stuff in there. It's like fresh fish and shrimp and all of that good stuff. However, once I was running the retreat, because I was the, when I first came on board, I was the general manager. And so, but I ended up doing everything. I was like, I am helping the business grow. I'm doing advertising, I'm talking about marketing, I'm talking about expansion. Like we ended up expanding into a whole nother retreat line. They took it into, um, or we took it into Japan. Like we did all these things. I was like, bump that. I need to be a partner. Like I'm not like, hell this, you know? And, um, the stress I developed my first, not well, the only ulcer. I never had any health, like specific health problems other than being born with asthma, which ended up, um, coming out. The more I stepped into my own life, the more the asthma went away, which there's a lot of books about, um, uh, about the 
connection between how you were raised and how you're thinking and how you feel about your life to the symptoms of the illness that you experience. So a lot of that was like, I don't have the breath of life. I don't feel like I have autonomy. I can't breathe, so on and so forth. So the more I stood into myself and spoke up to certain things in my family and my life that were out of alignment, and then I wasn't going to take anymore, the asthma started going away. So the same thing occurred um, in the opposite direction once I got really steeped in the business where I was so stressed out and I was so worried and I felt so responsible for so many people and like not just the guests, but like the whole staff that I started all that stress inside of my mind, but really outside of me started coming into my body and I blew up really big. Like I was the biggest I'd ever been. I think I was like 185 pounds, almost going on 200. If I would have weighed myself properly, I probably was there. And I developed an ulcer. And um, one of my spiritual teachers at the time, I didn't know he was going to be, but I was interviewing him, quote unquote, to do healing sessions at the retreat. It's a Balinese man, traditional Balinese healer. And he looked at me and he told me ahead of time, he's like, you're going to be really sick and you're going to have to change how you're living because you're very spiritual. You are very spiritual. You cannot do like other people. And I was like, oh, I've been hearing that my whole life. Like, <laughs> like I don't know what you're talking about. I'm trying to keep this, this, grow this business the way that I want to see it. And sure enough, it was like a month later, I got really, really ill and I was hospitalized. And I was like, okay, it's not just the food or it's not the food really. It's the stress. I've got to let this go. I've got to do it differently. Um, and so that's when I started hiring differently. I started putting boundaries about when I was working, when guests could see me. I had an assistant who could support me. And um, yeah, things got really better. But I'm glad you brought that up because I actually don't scroll back that often and see the changes. Um, people knew things were happening when I shaved my head off, which that was a big one. I really enjoyed I had locks for five years. And um, I was like, I'm ready to trans transition into my next challenge. And those locks had to go because they had heartbreak in them. They had all my adventures as far as leaving corporate, coming to Indonesia, traveling Southeast Asia, writing, talking about healing, challenging things, you know, visibly out in the world. And I just wanted a clean slate. So I, I literally took some clippers and uh, with no guard and just shaved the mugs off and burned them and thanked thank everybody, my gods and goddesses for supporting me in that. But yeah. I love it. I love all of that. Um, you are very much a water baby. So you're like into plants and water, not necessarily beach, but like open spaces. It seems like. Oh, the beach is my home. Oh, beach. Okay. So since this quarantine with COVID, I've only had one major breakdown <laughs> and it was when they said that the beaches were closed and I was like, what? Like I started crying. I was like, you don't understand how important that is for me because whenever I do feel stagnant energy, the first thing I, I do is go to the beach. It's, it's literally a requirement for me to live toward or around a large body of water. And so I have been in my showers in my bathtub more than I probably need to. And I'm sure my water bill is going to look like what by the time they send it to me. But um, for me, water is, is everything. Even when I'm washing dishes, I hear spirits speak to me or I feel my spirit soothe. Um, 
Yeah, I would, as a kid, um, my mom would run the bath for me and I would go and, you know, play and be in the bath and she would go take a phone call, start dinner or whatever. And there's many of times she's come in and she thought I was dead because I was just floating face down in the water because I just wanted the water to be all over me or I would be floating with my eyes closed, just breathing with my head up. And she was like, what are you doing? And she would come in screaming and I'd be like, ah, like, what are you, why are you scaring me? And she's like, you scared me, girl. Quit doing that. You know? But, um, yeah, the nature, the water, outdoor living, um, that's, that's, that's my lifestyle for sure. I also wanted to talk a bit about money. So you share how important it is for us to give ourselves the room to make mistakes and be human in our businesses. And that the idea that no matter what we should show up, uh, because if we're going to do this thing, like we should do it better, right? Not just continue the same systems that we were born into. And part yeah. of that, part of that also is pricing. Um, yeah. And you're not talking about your basic needs. And I love how you talk about that, how we need to have money for everything, not just the rent, not just the car note, not just flights, but we need our rainy day fund. We need our fund to be able to give back to our communities and donate in certain ways. Um, Could you, could you expand on that a bit, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I tell people there's four layers, if you will, or four levels. There's surviving, there is living, there is thriving, and then there's building. And the numbers per person are going to be different to move from those things. So when you're like, oh, I just want to make enough to be able to travel and like pay my bills and stuff, like technically we're in surviving, right? We've got, we've got what we need to move from day to day. And if any type of emergency comes through, we might be like, SOL. We might be like, oh, let me rob Peter to pay Paul for a moment and I'll work it out or I'll go and hustle for another contract or whatever it might be. And my goal is to get as many of us out of surviving and into living as minimum or into thriving. Like thriving is the sweet spot. Building is like legacy stuff. It's like, it's not even about my own immediate family. I'm talking about legacy and helping and giving to people, whether I know you or not, with no strings attached. It's that, you know, if I'm making, for example, $400,000 a year, I don't need to make more than that. I can't spend more than that. Like that's a lot of money, really. $100,000 is a lot of money. It's capitalism that thinks that shows us that it's not because everything is inflated. So um, I say that we've got to sit down and really look at our numbers. My favorite is to use mint.com. And I'm like, okay, these like seven or eight or 10 or 15 transactions were all bullshit. I was like, you know, going on a shopping spree. I was eating more than what I really planned to because of COVID and whatever else. So I can say that this is a higher expenditures than what I normally do. My normal expenditures is between, you know, 1500 a month or whatever it might be. And then you've got to figure out in your own way, right? I direct people through this if they work with me, but like you can really sit down and do this for yourself quite frankly. And that is to figure out what do you really need? What do you live off of a day? And what do you really need to make sure that you are 
thriving, like you are really well if you stop working, if, uh, you know, an, um, an emergency happened and you needed to take a pause to just rest or process that for a while. Work out the numbers and let that be your base. That is your living wage, right? And you're thinking about retirement. You built that in there. You built in, like you said, your rainy day fund. You built in that you give a gift three times a year, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and Christmas or whatever it might be. You're gifting. Like build all that stuff into your pricing. And in addition to that, I build into um, what am I giving away? So if I'm reaching these numbers and this is the amount of time it's going to take for me to do it, that means I need to be having space for scholarships, for giveaways, for people who can't afford or whatever. I can give stuff to them. Like I plan for that as well. The whole point is to understand your numbers in a way that you can be fluid with them. So to be really transparent for me, if I make anywhere between 8,000 and 12,000 a month, I am in living and thriving. Like I am really, really good. Building for me is anything over 12K, right? And so that's going to take care of everything that I need to. It allows me to be very generous with the people that I work with, very generous to complete strangers. It's like if I get a phone call from a family member, I'm like, don't worry about it. See if you can work it out, but then call me back afterwards because you know. <laughs> but um, when we know those numbers, it makes us not think of money as an enemy. We know that it's another tool, just like spirituality is innate and it's true to us. Abundant is innate and true to us. Money is a tool. Spirituality is the tool, whatever spiritual gifts or tools that you use. Like if you're going to use divination, I don't know, I'm going off into a rant, but the point <laughs> is <laughs> things are tools. Money is a tool. And until we know how we need to use that money or how we need to use that tool, it'll keep feeling like this heavy anvil on us that we're afraid to open the door and to become get into a relationship with it. And I don't know about you. I'm not interested in cultivating relationships with anyone who doesn't want me or who doesn't want to get to know me. Same Hello. thing with the energy of money, right? Same thing with the energy of money. So we come with it with respect. We come with it being like, this is what I need and this is the reasons why I need it. I need you to be abundant in my life so I can be that person for myself and with others. That's literally the agreement and the contract that, that you're making when you start to cultivate that relationship with it. And then you also talk about how important it is with the community aspect, because when you have freed yourself up financially or made more space for yourself financially, you're able to see and give and thrive with community versus being so consumed with making decisions that keep you where you've been or worse, you know, in, in terms of financial habits. So I like that you said that, um, you said you're able to pull resources. So not just financial, but lots of other mm -hmm. things by building community and you want to be with community that believe the same thing. So as you are creating these new financial, um, habits, being with people who have the same kind of concept, like, I guess, no matter which way it turns, like just being with people, financially, spiritually, mm. all of them. Yeah. Who have the yeah same. I mean, you know, I teeter on this. This is actually a, a developmental edge. So hang with me on this one. I'm revisiting how I look at community. Um, because yeah, before I was like, yeah, be with people who want the similar things, who can support you, who you guys are supporting each other. And there's this exchange going on. Y'all believe the same thing. You're going after the same thing. And I'm like, Hmm, well, isn't, I mean, that could be taken in a distorted, like negative way too. Like, do you belong here or not? Like you're not one of us. And I'm like, what is that done in the world whenever there's othering or outing people? 
So I've been playing with this idea of like five points and I don't need all five of those points to be hit in order to be in community. But my desire is to have at least three of them. You know, three of them is like, you've got goals and you're a goal chaser. Um, you believe in the, the idea of receiving, giving and receiving. And, you know, you do have a big heart and, and I don't know how you apply that, but you do have a big heart. You might not be, you know, as spiritual as I am or whatever it might be, or you might still, you know, I don't know, whatever, something that I don't do and I don't care for, I don't really believe in, but you do have these more important values or tenets in place and you've lived them, not just like them as an idea, but you live them because yeah, I, I think that we've got to become more fluid in how we're calling community or like how we define community, but also not so fluid and open that we're just settling for, you know, loosey goosey, willy nilly crazy. Any old body. (laughs) So I've seen relationships that were really good, you know, crumble and come to an end because they couldn't work through, um, a a community dispute that really was messed up. It was messed up, but it also had a lot of truth and understanding into it. So how do we be more forgiving while also calling people into accountability? Um, How do you surround yourself with people who support you, but not in a way that you become, or it becomes a codependent relationship? It really is. I support you, but I also support you enough to know that you've got this, whether community is there or not. I often talk about um, how we need community and we don't need community at all. Cause I know, you know, sometimes where I was in self doubt, I wanted to be in community more because I didn't want to step up into my leadership in leading myself, not much less leading others, but leading myself. I was like, Oh, well, we can do it in partnership and we can do it together. And it was like, nah, girl, that's your call. You are so clear around this ancestor and abundant thing. Like you need to own that. And I was like, damn, all right, I can't get off the hook, but that's, I didn't know I was doing that, but underneath I knew that's what I was doing. So there's this balance of like, yeah, you need people to support and who are going to have the same vibration of some sort going after things um, that you can call in and the moments that you need it, but not so much that you're, um, you're relying on them and not holding yourself accountable and in, in what you're building in your own life. Yeah, that's a, that's an ongoing thing for me for sure. Which is the transformation you talk about. You talk about the little decisions that you make that put you back where you said you didn't want to be or that pull you forward into the place that you said you want to be and making space for that. Love it. I want to ask you, Ash. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know I'm a cornball. I don't even know (laughs) why. Yeah. I want to ask you if you have had support while figuring out what works for you. Yes and no. I've had support from my spirit guides, from my ancestors, from my higher self, from random friends that I've met during my travels. Um, Yes. But as far as concrete financial support or like I always call my mom, for example, for this. Like, no, not so much. Like, I have the kind of mom, and I'm grateful that she doesn't listen to podcasts because she might be like, hmm, but whatever. It is my point of view. (laughs) Um, I have the kind of mom that I'll call her and be like, this is what's on my heart. Like, I'm really frustrated about this or blah, blah, blah. And I just need 
you know, this is what I need. And she'll be like, you'll be fine. You're, you're, you're always fine. Like it's almost that because I'm always fine, no one will really step up or ask me if I'm okay or, or whatever. And I'd be like, why well, need help too? Damn it. You know? And then I'm like, never mind. I I'm asking the wrong person and that's okay. So I have come to learn. I can rely on myself And if I am in community, I directly ask for what I need. I've been in communities where I've been like, I just need everybody, if you have the capacity to go around on this Zoom call and tell me what you love about me or tell me what you've been excited or what drew you towards me. I just need to hear those words right now if you're willing. And then people were like, yeah, I'm willing. And they'll go around and say it. And I got what I needed. I felt filled filled up, if you will. Um, But yeah, this, uh, what I got, especially when I started solo traveling, because that actually happened before Bali. I was going to Europe. I was going to Central America. I was going into the Caribbean um, by myself first. And then I got the balls to go on the other side of the world or the ovaries, I should say. Um, but uh, my family and people who were close to me, family and friends were like, that's so you and you're crazy. Like you're such a free bird and that makes sense. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, you're going to regret that. Well, what about your job? What about your career? Well, you know, nobody has any money to bail you out if you need it. Or what if you get sick? It was just like all of the negative things, all of the what ifs, all of the, well, we won't tell you not to do it, but don't call us when something goes wrong or we hope you're okay. But you know, and, um, I had to just listen to myself. I knew that I needed to go. I needed, I knew I needed to travel. I knew that no matter how much I use my words, or how people see that I, or can feel that I had something inside of me. Um, it was just something that had to be experienced. Like I, I have to show myself and then by doing so I'll show the world. So there was no running to other people, um, per se, but I, I will always say that people have definitely helped me. Like my friend Claire, in Australia, like she didn't have to say you could stay with me for two weeks. You know, I would have gone into Australia and been in a shelter, you know, but guess what? I would have did it because I would have been some free rent also. Maybe they would have threw in a, a, a meal. It's going to be great in the book or it would have been great in the book. And I would have still risen from that space. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. Because it can look so many different ways. And so, yes. You are sharing the different ways it's looked for you. When you do travel, is there a certain kind of way you like to explore? Yes. So I like to go to a place and not really know what I'm going to do there. (laughs) I don't usually go to any of the touristy things. I like to get an Airbnb and pretend that I live there. So I ask the host to tell me where the grocery store is. Like I actually go to the post office or whatever way that you send. I do mundane things and I actually still work. Like I take my regular clients I do my regular things because I just like feeling like I live somewhere else. I'm not so big on the touristy, you know, with all the photos and things, which is the reason why if you go through my Instagram, you don't see a lot of touristy photos. Um, I like solo travel because traveling in group gives me anxiety. I feel like I'm trying to manage everybody's feelings and plans and it makes me want to over plan, which means I'm not having any fun. So I'm definitely a solo traveler and I just like to, yeah, pretend that I'm a local. And um, then normally at the very end, once I meet some locals and they're like, oh, every time I go somewhere, someone's like, do you live here? Even though I don't speak the language or whatever. They're like, you seem real familiar, really comfortable. And then they'll be like, oh, if this is your first time here, you've got to go do this. And it'll be something off the beaten path. So I will do that thing off the beaten path that's still touristy, 
But um, yeah, I don't do the travel books. I don't do any of those like top things you need to do in Paris. Like I would be like, no, I don't want to do any of that. Give me the hole in the wall place that I'll find because I got lost walking around without a map. Do you mind sharing your self-care practices? Yeah. So I, um, I work with the elements. Um, I believe that they are the just spiritual tools given to humans in order to live, be connected to the divine or what's unseen. So for me, um, working with water, like I said, I'll go to the beach, I'll give offerings to the beach. Um, and to my water spirits and to myself, I will take showers and baths. Like I make my own, um, Epsom salt with herbs and all types of spiritual bath, little goodies in there. That is always makes me feel fantastic. Um, I have a practice of making sure I eat three, uh, servings of dark leafy greens a day, which also goes back to the health stuff we were talking about. But um, a lot of times people think of self-care as the indulgent, you know, spa type things. But I think actually getting my four um, water bottles of 75 milliliters of water in and my three greens a day is self-care because <laughs> I'm definitely celebrating when I have a really good poop in the day. <laughs> um, so I'm making sure I'm eating and I'm drinking what I need to as far as the greens. Like I might eat some things that I'm not supposed to, but I try to get them greens and that water in daily. And I actually am an early riser and I'm also go to bed early. So I'm usually in bed between 8 and 9 p.m. And um, I wake up anywhere between 4 and 5.30 in the morning. So I keep myself on that a little bit before sunrise so I can do my meditations. I can write in my journal. I can just breathe and be present with my dog and like have gratitude for my home or where I'm currently at. And then I'll go through my morning um, the way that I want to. I normally work more in the morning. And then in the afternoons is like my creative time and time I take client calls. Um, and then, yeah, by the evening when the sun goes down, I'm in alignment with the sun. So I settle in, I might read a book, I might prep for the next day, and then I'm in bed. So to me, that keeps me well rested and balanced. It's like if it doesn't get done between sunrise and sunset, then hopefully there'll be another day. Come on, sunrise and sunset. You also advocate like working in seasons. So how much time do you take off? You suggest three months, but... uh, Well, what people uh, don't know is I'm I'm about to come off of a a month of offness. I haven't been on social media. I've only maintained the current clients. I haven't taken any new clients. I've taken a month of sort of off, like pseudo working. Um, but I will not be working November and December this year. I normally, my new year starts around Day of the Dead, Halloween. That's all, you know, the Ancestors Day. I'll reflect over the whole year and see um, what did I do? What did I not do? What did, you know, what did I learn? And then I let that period of the end of October to be like, what am I going to be doing in the next year? What downloads, what information is given to me in my higher spirit? I'll start planning it November and December. And then by New Year's, January, I have a ritual to get started with the new year. And I give January and February my head start. And so then my new year actually starts with the spring equinox in March. So it's literally from October until March that I'm kind of like, this is the transitionary phase, but I don't work work November, December. Like I shut everything down, um, which I'm grateful for that. But yeah, and and speaking of more self-care, like, you know, I plant my intentions in the earth. I really do. I go out into a space. I'll pray. I'll write those things down very clearly. I fold them up, 
put a little blessing, a little perfume or whatever on there, put it into the earth and have mother earth support me in that. And I might light, light a little candle to show it the way. And then I walk away and do my, do my dealio. But, um, we need rest. Um, my mom was actually reflecting back to me that I hadn't normally by this time I would have taken a trip to Mexico or been somewhere. And because of COVID, I haven't. And I felt that energetically in my body. Like I need to move across the lands in order to be sound and clear and created. And I can feel the difference when I, when I have it. So, um, figure out your, you know, your rhythm of, um, of rest. But for me, it's for sure. I also only work, um, four days a week. I take three days off. So it's normally Sunday and Monday are my off days. Tuesdays are the days that's halfway off, halfway on. I'll do like answering emails or like, you know, working on the admin of my business. I don't take clients on Tuesdays. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is when I actually will work with clients on projects. You're also really big into creating your own rituals, right? Yes. Yes. To me, you know, folks will be like, hey, can I have a ritual for manifesting whatever, a new client or job? And I'm like, you can make your own ritual. You know, all you have to do is say what you want, write it down and use the elements, fire, earth, air, and water in order to activate them. That's it. It's true. The ritual is actually you, the person. What are you going to do to um, create gesture and movement and intention around your desire physically into the world? That's all we're doing. It's this alchemical thing of I want this. I'm going to say it. I'm going to believe it in my body. And I'm going to have some symbolism outside of me so that it tells the physical world to help me with manifesting it. That's what I think of the rituals. And I think sometimes we complicate them of being like, I got to have nine glasses of water or a priest or someone do this for me. And it's like, you're creating your own life. You can use things around you. Um, just start with the elements. Can you, you know, speak what you want into a bowl of water um, and then pour it down a stream. I don't know. I'm just making something up, but yeah. So I think self-created rituals and they have your meaning. You know why you're doing something. Um, for example, I have two altars in my home. One is my ancestor altar and the other one is my personal altar. Um, there's been other altars along the time, but the two that are always up and always being tended to are the ones relating to the people that helped me physically be here. Not just my blood ancestors, but my celestial ancestors, my spirit guides, if you will. And then the one for me. And I say that's like the most accessible place to start. If you feel funny or you're not quite sure about um, altars and spirituality in this way, make an altar for yourself. That's essentially a place that you come and worship yourself. You say, I appreciate you. I think you're beautiful. This is what I want to come into your life. There might be photos of yourself that you really love, or you were in your best health or your greatest mind or your most creative self. I put flowers on that um, weekly. I have my favorite crystals on there. I have my favorite poems on there. And uh, yeah, I just I have that one in my room so I can look at it and be like, you are bad as fuck, Ash. <laughs> Even though that's not what your mama named you, but you know, <laughs> go off. Yeah. I think there's just a lot around like, am I doing this right? And then not knowing if it's going to work. Cause like, if I didn't do it right, like they, like, you know, there has to be a book of spells for me to follow in order to make whatever happen happen. <laughs> and no, it's we are we are the most potent part of any spell. It's like, did you mean it from your heart? Did you say it with fire? 
and then you allow, you just allow it. I'll be very prescriptive. Like for example, I did a ritual that was like, I had joined something that really didn't work for me and I felt like the organ, like the organization was out of integrity. And so this ritual, I was like, I just want to get out of it clean and respectful to them and to me. And I want my whole money back, you know? And I knew that this, this particular organization had no history of giving refunds. Like they don't even have like a refund policy on their website. So I was like, this is not, this is going to be interesting. But I was like, you know, ancestors, I truly feel and myself speaking to my higher self and my ancestors. I was like, you know, I just don't feel I would, do this space justice. I don't want to have the vibration of disagreeing with these people while they're teaching others. Like it's just not a good fit. And we didn't feel that before. So please allow this to dissolve and our best interests, including me getting my money back and me leaving them with something that is beneficial for them, some feedback or something that is really, really good. And sure enough, that's what happened. Like I took a little tea light, you know, I, I lit it. I wrote down what I said. I used some Van Van oil, which is all about opening up the roads and clearing the, clearing the way. And I just said, you know, this is what I would like. I'm lighting a candle on it and just said it from my whole, my whole heart. And I ended up having a conversation with that particular program director that ended up being a whole entire like hour and a half consultation. And they were like, man, you just gave me so much thought about my business that I didn't even think of. And I was like, cool, you know, I'm glad I could be helpful and thanks for refunding me and we can part ways and it's all Gucci, you know? So um, it's really about use the elements and that one I had fire, obviously. And I also had earth because I wrote it on um, like a, a recycled paper bag, right? And um, I had air because I used my breath. I prayed over it and it definitely was some water because I had some tears of being like, am I doing this? I hope that I can really do this in a way that is an integrity. It's not just for my benefit, it's for the benefit of everybody involved. And um, I believed in it. And if, if it didn't work out, then I'd be like, oh, well, there's something I'm supposed to do here. But it did work out. So it's truly use elemental energies and use your own power. You you are it. If you had nothing else, your words and your intention and your petition, your prayers is enough to be a ritual. Mm. is it enough to be original come on come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) um do you have any practices that are particularly grounding or the self-care that you do keeps you centered it's a great 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 question for me whenever I need grounding I literally go outside and just put my feet in the ground I dig a little hole and I put my feet in the ground and um that normally, and I'll breathe and I'll visualize myself connecting with the earth. I'll ask the earth to bring me down because for me, it's always actually been really difficult to be on earth. I remember even as a little girl, I would be um, crying, looking out into the sky at night at the stars, being like, this earth doesn't even make sense. I hate it here. <laughs> Who are these people that I'm calling family? You know, what is this? Um, so it's, it's, I find earth, I I can easily be in the waters and in the dreams and in the skies and all of that stuff. So coming into culture and being grounded in earth is a practice I need to do very, very often. So meditation um, is a really, really good one that works for me. I'll, I'll go through a meditation sequence that essentially brings my attention from the top of my head all the way down to the arches of my feet. And then I will visualize, you know, sometimes people do roots of trees or whatever, but really I just visualize the energy of my body and earth coming together and taking me through all the different layers of the earth. I'll speak to the earth. I'll ask it to illuminate the things that I don't see that are taking me off of my, um, off of my stability. Um, 
And normally I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm upset about this, but it's what's throwing me off kilter is really this. I'm really afraid of this. And then I'll start to unpack that. Why am I afraid? What's going on? What do you really need to do? What do you need to allow? And then instantly I feel, well, not instantly, but after I do that process, I feel so much better. I'm crystal clear on what makes me feel ungrounded. And then I'm able to feel grounded with the earth. And um, sometimes I'll do that meditation while standing outside in the earth or sitting on the ground which is, which is, yeah, really, really good. Um, there is, I don't really know how to, how to, what is it called? Um, describe this pose, but I, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. So I won't say it, but it's like a yoga pose. I don't know what it is though. (laughs) Um, do you have any hobbies or are you just like constantly in flow? Living your purpose. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, you don't pick me as a hobby. hobby. And right, I'm not a hobbyist. No. I did just pick up something though. I will, okay. I will say. At the beginning of this year, I said I wanted to start skating again. And so I grew up rollerblading and I actually broke my left wrist rollerblading in a really bad, bad, bad way. But um, I've always loved it. Yeah. So I just got a new pair of rollerblades, which I've been taking them out every morning. And I also got skates. So I have been looking at YouTube tutorials and following a couple homegirls on the on the Instagrams who teach how to basically do roll bounce skating, not just skating to move, but like for real, got some dance moves and some steps and everything. So that is brand spanking new. I just got them this month um, or last month, I should say in April. Um, so that's my only hobby, but for real, I just live like, yeah, you're right. I I tend to my plants. I guess that's a little bit of a hobby. No. But, um, <laughs> no? Dang. Dang. Okay, I don't have no hobby job other than skating. And I just <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, I just be living. I be living and I just be tuning into people. Um, I find my life and other people's lives and us overcoming or understanding ourselves or making different choices to be fascinating. I am all about it. It gets me so excited. I love to Real be the chase. I love to be it. Yeah. <laughs> do. Yeah. Ash, how do you like to celebrate? <laughs> I like to celebrate normally by eating something. Um, so people don't know this, but my nickname growing up was Miss Piggy um, by the Muppets. And so for me, food always is like a celebration. And so with my, my recent dietary changes, it has been interesting to still indulge and, uh, have a moment of like marking a momentous occasion or something that I'm just excited about, but doing it in a healthier way. Um, and I like to go to, this is, I sound like such a grandma. I like to go to farmer's markets and stuff. If I can go outside to a festival or like just be outdoors and around people, like that's an, that's a celebration for me because I really am a homebody. I enjoy being in my own space with my own music, my own, like my doggy and just vibing out with myself. So yeah, going out and socializing is a celebration with food. Why do you think you sound like a grandma? Because I, one of my neighbors, uh, we became friends because we walk our dogs together in the morning. And she was like, you really don't come out of your house very often, do you? Like, and I was like, yeah, I could like have a little rocking chair and just, I'd be good. You know, I would be good. So 
I don't know. I guess people associate being indoors with like your grandma and like being outdoors as you're young and vibrant. But <laughs> I really do like to be. I love being at home. Um, do you think that being a black woman has has affected your experience when you travel? Hmm. Yes, in the sense that it's made me honestly probably more adventurous because me traveling meant more than just going on a trip. It was it's part of reclaiming my freedom. It's part of realizing who I am outside of the confines and the context of white supremacy or white America. So it's made me when I'm traveling to be like, yeah, I'll eat that. Yeah, I'll go there. Sure, let's let's do that. Oh, stranger, but we hit it off really well while I was walking home from the park. Sure, let's let's connect. Um, it's made me really rely on or believe that I can rely on my intuition, knowing that as a black woman, I know that I am protected. I know that I am wise, even beyond my own years, because my folks walk with me knowingly or unknowingly. And um, yeah, it makes me it makes me more fearless. I've never had any experiences while traveling where I felt like I was being, um, you know, treated unfairly or anything like that because I was black. To me, to me, it's just it's it's made more people want to get to know me and be like, you're American and you're black and you're alone and you're a woman. You got to be cool. And I've met some amazing people as a result who enhance my travel experiences. So it's just, it's been nothing but a plus for me. Do you have any song lyrics or poems that speak to you these days? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. There are two songs that I've had on rotation a lot lately. Um, There's this song called Color, C-O-L-O-U-R by Pete Joseph. And it is like, it's like this jazz compilation a little bit. It talks about having the color of life all around you. Um, it makes you happy. It's about joy. And it just, it just tells me, it reminds me of how free I am, really, how colorful my life is, how vibrant I can be if I just jump out into the world or continue jumping out into the world. So I listen to that a lot. It's on my, my Good Morning mix. And there's another song by, or called Bloom by Black Party, which I really like. Um, this has got a dope little little track to it, but it's talking about hoping that your flowers will bloom, um, hoping that you know that you are the world, that you are special, that you continue to grow, that you can continue to be a kind person. And it just affirms me of continuing to lean in, continuing to evolve, continuing to explore who I am and what I can do and, and why I'm here. So both of those songs. And can you please share, I always like to have guests share how listeners can support your work. Oh, cool. Yeah. Listeners can support my work by um, following me on Instagram at Ash Inspires. And, you know, if you or someone that you know are questioning, you know, what their purpose is or exploring their their spirituality within the context of blackness and they're curious about ancestors then have them follow me mention my name or you know shoot them shoot them my information because i want us to know that yes a lot of times people think of spirituality as this like lofty like eastern you know approach to things and it's all like whitewashed and stuff and we as black folks have a lot of innate spiritual practices that we don't even realize like our actual being is spiritual. So um, 
I would love to have more people exploring that and just know that I'm around should you need some support or you want to ask some questions. So, yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking all this time to share your insights, what you've learned, and um, offer some, some real substance to our listeners. I'm so grateful to be here. And you have such good questions, Wanda. You woof, had me reflecting on my whole entire life. So thank you for being the person that you are and having this platform and inviting me to be on it. My pleasure, girl. <laughs> well, you have yourself a gorgeous day. Thank you so much, Ash. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.